As they make their way out, you can show them some support, not only with your yes, but with a hand. Love baby dedication. Super fun to see these, these families up here. Uh, this spring and summer, my wife, uh, she always gets the bug every spring and summer to plant a garden. And this, this last spring and summer, it was a comedy of errors as we tried our best. And when I say we, I'm going to say we a lot in this story, but it's really, I'm just emotional support, right? So um, we, we tried to plant a garden and, and we set out there. I mean, we're a family of seven. And so my wife think it, it's a great idea to raise our own tomatoes, cucumbers, watermelon, snap peas, all of that stuff for multiple reasons. Number one, because we're a big family and to help with the the bill at the grocery store. Another is because it's just super cool to cut into a tomato you raised, right? So that's pretty cool. And so we did that. We bought the seed and we get out there and we pick the right spot and, and we get after it. And, and before you know it, these little shoots of plants are coming up and there's excitement in the house. We had a fantastic start. I don't know if anybody else has done this and had a fantastic start. And then before you know it, there's some things nibbling on our precious little plants and we're trying to figure out what that is and is it a squirrel is it is it birds is it deer and if it's deer then that becomes a food plot and we're going to harvest something different if it's if it's not then and so anyway we've got to figure out what are we going to do with with what's happening here and so one day I come home and Terry's got this green chicken wire and it plastic it's all over this so we are going to protect our garden from whatever it is that's getting in and sure enough that was a success and so we thought okay we dodged a bullet now we can begin to sit back and reap what we have sown per se and then all of a sudden we we noticed that some of our plants have these these flowers on them, and that's good, except when the flower falls off, there's supposed to be something growing there, and nothing's growing. And we, if you didn't know this, we have a professional gardener in our church. Her name is Brittany Gladden. Where's Brittany at? There she is. <laughs> Brittany told us the problem is we don't have pollinators. What? I mean, like bees, butterflies, like whatever. And so at that point, I'm out. I'm still emotional support, but I'm out. My wife gets a paintbrush, like a tiny watercolor paintbrush, and pollinates this stuff so that we can have a, like, I'm just go to Walmart and buy a tomato, right? <laughs> we finally got the pollinator issue taken care of, and then... We got to go to Texas, and that's right in the middle of the summer. It's hot. I mean, this is not good. We're going to be gone for two whole weeks. Thank goodness we have some neighbors, the Drakes, and they're like, you know what? We'll, we'll make sure and swing by and water, and my wife is pretty paranoid because the biggest success of the gardening season had emerged, and it was a watermelon, and it was about the size of a softball, and we were thinking, this is going to be great. We are going to get back from Texas, and in two Two weeks, this watermelon is going to be juicy and delicious and dripping off your elbow good, right? That's what it's going to be. And so we thought if that's what happens, our gardening will be an absolute success. We're gone for two weeks. It's rained and the Drakes have done their job and we get back and the watermelon has not budged a bit. It is the exact same size. I found it a little funny, but I'm emotional support and I'm like, oh, right? 
oh man. And all the kids are like, can we cut into it? Maybe it's a mini melon and it'll be still good. It wasn't still good. It still needed to grow, but it was an absolute disappointment, right? I mean, we were so hoping for cantaloupe and watermelon and all the things that Brittany grows in her garden that we can't grow in ours. I tell you all that because Paul today is going to use a metaphor, and he is full of metaphors in his writing. He's talked about running the race. He's talked about walking. He's talked about the law and teachers, and now he's going to talk about fruit, raising this garden of fruit, and it's a beautiful, amazing garden. I want to read it to you, Galatians 5, starting in verse 22. If you're familiar with Galatians or, or even just a, a cursory look, you've probably heard this passage before. Galatians 5, starting in verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Like when I read that, everyone in the room just kind of takes a deep breath and says, that's what it ought to look like, right? Isn't it? Isn't that what we want? That is the garden of our lives that we desperately desire. We want love and we want people to show us love. We want peace and we want people to show that for us. We want patience and we want it reciprocated, gentleness, kindness. We want self-control. Anybody else want self-control? And we want other people to have self-control. We want that. Matter of fact, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in him and you say, you know what, I am with Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit within you and I believe the greatest desires of your heart, whether you verbalize it or not, the greatest desires of your heart is that garden right there. Love, joy, peace, patience. That's what we want. And when I say it and I read it, I could just read it over and over because that is what we want for our marriages and our kids and our work and our neighborhood. We desperately desire these characteristics. But there's something else out there that is adamantly opposed to this garden. In the same way, there were those birds and squirrels and deer and occasionally a, a stray weed whacker you know, string may knock something out. Um, <laughs> There are enemies to this garden. There are enemies to it. So let's take a look at it. Galatians 5, he says this in verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit. We just talked about fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. That's the way I want you to walk. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Uh-oh, we got something going on here. I got Spirit, but... it. If I don't walk by the Spirit, then I got something else going on called the flesh, and I'll walk by it. So that means there's a choice to be made. There's two gardens at play. Okay, so he's going to go on. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit. The flesh is over here saying, no, 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 no. I don't want love. I don't want peace. I don't want that. I don't want what's good. I don't want all those great things. I want something different, and he's going to give you the list for that here in a moment. He then says this, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. The Spirit is looking at the flesh saying, I don't want immorality. I don't want factions and divisions. I don't want a reckless lifestyle. I don't want that. So we have two in opposition. 
he goes on. He says, these are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. Remember I told you a minute ago? Every one of you who are a follower of Jesus, what you truly want is love, joy, peace, and patience. And the desires of the flesh keep you from your strongest desires. They keep you from that. They don't want you to have this beautiful garden. They want to they destroy it. They want to keep you living in the pain of the flesh. So let me draw it for you here. I, you know me. I like to kind of put it up here, get a little nerdy with it, and see if we can, can make it make sense. So I want to start with some key words that we've already mentioned. The first one is spirit. As uh, we think about the spirit... I want to make sure we're all on the same page. When I say Holy Spirit, uh, probably 16 definitions arise in the room. And for many of us, we're like the Holy Spirit is like our medulla oblongata. I got one, but I got no idea what it does, right? Um, I used to think it was a thing dangling in the back of your throat for the longest. Apparently, it's in your brain, whatever, right? So we all have the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know what in the world does it do? What does it do? So I don't have a ton of time with this, but I'm, I'm going to try to give you the breakdown of the Holy Spirit in three major categories. The first one is this. Genesis 1, verse 1, the Holy Spirit shows up in your Bible, and it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. He was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God. And when you see the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in Genesis 1, 1, you get this idea that here is the presence of God. Not only does the Holy Spirit show us the personal presence of God, it shows us the power of God. When I talk about the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in the Old Testament would sometimes empower specific individuals to do amazing things like Joseph to interpret a dream or the Old Testament prophets to see the world as God sees the world. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's powerful. And then you get to the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit keeps up with his personal presence and his power. When Jesus is baptized and comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus. And at that point, his ministry goes public, and power starts happening, where we're casting out demons, and we are healing people, and we're telling folks to get up and walk because that's the power of the Spirit. And then when Jesus is crucified and they bury him, Romans 1 says he was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And then it gets even better. It wasn't just designed to be on a few select people. The Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now is all of ours. And so we get Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit descends. And it's not just on Joseph, and it's just not on a few Old Testament prophets. It's on every one of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, you are sealed with the Spirit. You're sealed with it. You have it. Which leads us to the third thing the Holy Spirit does. It doesn't just represent the personal presence of Jesus. It's not just about His power. It's about the idea that it wants to cultivate growth and change. Fruit. Growth and change. So here we have the Spirit. And it is an amazing gift of God. And so he says we're supposed to live by the Spirit. But then we have another word up here in the passage. It says, 
the flesh. Now, for some of us, when you hear the word flesh, you immediately begin to think of myself. This is my material being. I need to be clear. This is not about what you can see and what you can't see, like my, my soul and my body. No, 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 no. Spirit is the personal presence of God. The flesh represents our sinful desires. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve decide to do exactly the opposite of what God told them to do, we get darkness and sin and decay, and it begins to overtake the world, and it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And so some of your translation, instead of saying flesh, it says sinful desires. So we have sinful desires on this one hand that is a result of thousands of years of people sinning, and we have the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God, which is this beautiful gift that God gives those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, let me take our drawing just a tad further. We have the Spirit, and we have the flesh, and you see how those two overlap? Paul says... We've got to no longer walk according to the flesh. We've got to walk according to the spirit. We don't want the fleshly desires. We want the spiritual desires. So in essence, he's saying this. There we are with a foot in both worlds. It's the tension we live in. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I've been sealed with the spirit. But I live in a world corrupted by sin, and they're constantly doing a tug of war. Anybody else feel that? So he's saying this, this flesh over here, it doesn't want you to live by the Spirit. And when it doesn't want you to live by the Spirit, it doesn't want you to have that beautiful garden that I read about earlier. Which one do you want, right? Which one? So... That's the, the gist of it. Let's go back to the text and let's learn more about the flesh. Since I've already showed you the garden of the Holy Spirit, let's, let's more about what the flesh says. He says this, starting in verse 19. What is that? He says, now the works of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. We don't need this list here. Matter of fact, if I said, hey, everybody, uh, what are the works of the flesh? Y'all could probably start popcorning them off pretty quickly, right? They're absolutely obvious. Paul just wants, wants to make sure that we're all on the same page, so he's going to list a bunch of them out. It's pretty gross. Let's go. You ready? Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Anything similar. Man, what, a, what a list, isn't it? I Maybe mean, it's it quiet in a hurry. Because you read that and you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Like nobody's taking a deep breath and saying, oh, give me that, right? Give, give, me, the, give me the other list. No, no one takes this in and says, I just want to be in dissension all the time. I want to live in a world where there are outbursts of anger at any moment. No one lives like, nobody wants to live like that, but we do live like that, don't we? Crazy. And we got this tension that the flesh is saying, do it, do it, do it. We're wicked, aren't we? Can we just be honest for a moment? That moment that you just want to... Uh, you know what that is? That's your flesh. And that, 
that time that says, hey, go be an encouragement. Love somebody. Meet your neighbor. Pray for them. What do you think that is? It ain't the flesh. Right? Which one wins? Which one wins? Now listen to me. That list right there, that's the squirrels, the birds, the deer, and the occasional weed eaters string that messes up our beautiful garden. It is. And so we got to do something about it. Let me, let me just talk about them just for a moment here. Um, I'll go back to my drawing just so, so we can all be on the same page. When I, when I see, when I, when I look here at, at the Spirit, I read the list for you. He says there's love, joy, peace. I, I'm not going to list them all off, but it's this beautiful garden, and in it, there are these beautiful fruits, and, and we say, yes, we breathe that in. And, and Paul even calls them, he calls them fruit. By the way, I'm borrowing this from Tim Mackey. He does the Bible Project, and so any of you have seen him do his drawing. I'm borrowing this from him. And so he's got that. And then over here in these other verses, he says, works. And we've got works from Paul that are obvious. And I'm just going to write them out. There are four categories. I'm just going to talk about the four categories just for a moment. The first category is in the area of sex. List them off. Promiscuity, immorality, right? I mean, right off the bat, I mean, he hits the big one and it gets quiet in a hurry. And the reason for that is because there's something amazing. There's something amazing, right, between a married man and a woman that this one flesh and intermingling of body and soul and it is amazing and when it's outside of that when it's outside of that it it wants to rip up the fruit of the spirit it it doesn't bring joy and peace and love so as a result it brings pain and he lists off three of them there say no 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 we, we that's that's the flesh talking he, he then gives another one that our flesh messes up our worship. He says sorcery and witchcraft. And all of you are like, whoo, I'm good on this one, right? I don't do sorcery and witchcraft. I don't know. Maybe we do. I lived in Haiti for three months. And while I was there, the Haitians live on less than a dollar a day. And anytime they need something uh, in terms of physical health or um, maybe just hoping for a job, what they would do is they'd take their little bit of money and they'd go find the witch doctor at the end of the village and he'd cook them up some kind of spell. And like, that's what we typically think of with witchcraft and sorcery, isn't it? Um, when we think about witchcraft and sorcery from a first century perspective, it would be this. It would be the idea that they would go to these pagan temples and these pagan gods and they would dance for them and they would worship them and they would bring some sacrifice for them so that they could manipulate the God to do what I need you to do. I need a good, I need a good a harvest this year, so I'm doing all this since, so you will do this. We want to have a boy. I'm doing all this, so you're obligated to me. That sound familiar? I put a little money in the black box back there. Hey, I hope my kid makes the team. I showed up and I came to church two days, two Sundays in a row. And, and in coming to church two Sundays in a row, I'm expecting for, some, for a promotion at work. At that point, we're just manipulating the exact same way, isn't it? And so we got to be careful because our flesh is like, God, you owe me something. I volunteered in Radius Kids, the kindergartners, right? 
got to be careful. Our flesh will mess this up. Next one, he says, is all about relationships. Man, it's a long list, isn't it? This is probably in, uh, due in part to the fact that the Galatians, there's this infighting there between these Judaizers and the Galatians, and I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But all of these relational issues, this, this factions and deceit and division, like this is the flesh that is robbing us of joy and peace and patience. Think about the drama in relationships. When you get off the phone and it's been gross, or you've just had a face-to-face interaction with somebody and it was terrible, do you walk out of that feeling, oh, peace? No. It's robbing us. It's just, it's just cutting that fruit off. It's just sticking a finger in the tomato and saying, nah. It's just keeping that, that watermelon about the size of a softball. Just stunning its growth. Stunning it. And so when we look at the, the, the fruits of the Spirit, we want to make sure that I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be living in the flesh for it to rob this other beautiful garden. And so some of you might be saying, okay, Russell, that's great. I've been showing up to church for weeks now. We've been talking about Galatians. How does all this, what does this have to do with the book of Galatians as a whole? So I want you to look at chapter 5, verse 13, where our passage today starts. And remember, you have these Christian Jews who have been coming in saying, listen, I'm glad you embrace Jesus Christ, but if you really want to be in, then what you have to do is follow the law. If you get circumcised, if you change your diet, if you honor certain days, then you'll be in. You'll be a child of Abraham. And Paul has been saying for five chapters, no, no, no. You are in because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Then they bring up another point, verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers. He said that a hundred times. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He tells them, I know they're coming in and they're telling you, hey, listen to me. You're free. And if you don't obey the law, guess what will happen? You'll become a pagan. If you don't obey the law, you may run off and start carousing and have dissension. And you might just be all over the place. And so listen, the law doesn't just get you into the family. It protects you. And Paul says, no, no, it's not about the law anymore. Let let me go to their drawing and and just show it to you. This is is what the, the Judaizers are trying to say. They're trying to draw a box around us and say, follow the law to keep you from doing all these wrong things. And Paul is going to say something absolutely profound. He's already said it. But let's go back to the text in Galatians 5, verse 24. And this is what Paul says has happened to the flesh. He says, now those who belong to Christ, all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those of us who belong to Christ Jesus... Our passions and desires in the flesh have been crucified. We, have, we are crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.21 says. I don't longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
Christ lives in me. Christ now lives in me. His presence is here through the Holy Spirit. And so if I come back over here, Paul is telling them it's not. Listen, it's not about the law. It's not about this box around us. It's actually about the crucifixion. We have been crucified with Christ. We are are dead to the flesh. We don't have to live that way anymore. I'm going to say that again. You don't have to live that way anymore. We now have freedom and the Holy Spirit and this Spirit of God lives in us. Absolutely amazing, isn't it? So we have, we have crucified the flesh. And now we look at it and say, well, what does that look like? What does it look like now to to live this life if I've got one foot over here in the spirit, but I still have this sinful, gross nature that wants to rob my garden? How does it work? How do I yield to the spirit? How do I follow him? How do I recognize that I've been crucified with him? Let me show you three verses in this little section, some words that are incredibly important for us as we think about yielding our life to the spirit. First one is this. Verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. He's going to give us basically the same word in English, but it's three or four different words in Greek. So I want you to see it. When we say walk, we kind of think, oh, go for a walk or something. The word walk here means way of life. It's a way of life. And so it doesn't just mean I'm going to kind of walk in it every once in a while. It is my way of life. Or another way to say it is my life is determined by the Spirit. It's determined by it. I know the direction I want to go, and my life is now determined by the Spirit. This is about direction. So I'm going to ask you point blank, which way do you want to go? Do you want to go according to the the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, or do you want to go according to the flesh? And I'm not even going to repeat that list. Which one is it? Because according to this passage, you got a choice. What's going to be the determinating factor of your life? What's going to determine it for you? He gives us another word. Look at the next one. Verse 18. He says, led by the spirit the word led by means influenced so now i know the direction i'm going i know i want that i know i want that garden i want all of that and so that means i need to be influenced by the spirit best way i know to uh, illustrate this is my wife is the greatest decision I made outside of following Jesus Christ. She makes me better in a hundred ways. She influences me like nobody else, right? There have been multiple times we've been sitting at a table, having a dinner with somebody else, right? And uh, maybe I'm getting a little excited. Maybe I'm saying some things that aren't the greatest, and she'll reach over and tap my leg. Any other fellas got a Holy Spirit wife, right? Oh, Thank goodness, because I'm fixing to put my foot in my mouth, right? I remember one time vividly, I'm sitting at the dinner table at her home in Abilene, Texas, her dad, her brother, and we're talking, and I'm doing this, 
And she's like, pull your arms down. And they're like, relax, Russell, it's okay, that's my dad. Have you, have you ever had that before? Like, I'm, I, I sit back and I'm thinking, man, if it weren't for her, there have been times that she's pulled me from one side of a lobby to the other side of the lobby because I needed to be talking to these folks instead of here. And she has, she's done that because she influences me. Now, take it outside of that. Have you ever had anybody tap here? More importantly, tap right here. Say, pray for that person. Why don't you make a phone call? Why don't you write a letter? You hadn't heard from such and such lately. Why don't you reach out? What do you think that is? It ain't the flesh. Right? Let's sit back and say, I want to go in this direction and I want to let the Holy Spirit influence me. I want to let the Holy Spirit influence me. And when my wife taps my leg, I don't sit back and say, oh, dude, I'm going all in. I listen. And when the Holy Spirit taps my chest, why would I sit back and say, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm listening. Can I just tell you something that this week for me has just been overwhelming? I've said it to myself a hundred times. The Holy Spirit has your best interest in mind. The Holy Spirit has your best interest in mind. The reason my wife taps my leg is not because she's trying to ruin my life. She's trying to protect me. She's got my best interest in mind. And she's not perfect at it, but the Holy Spirit is. He, he loves you. And he's got your best interest in mind. And so when he leads, we want to follow. One more word. Um, says this in Galatians 5.25. He says, follow the Spirit. And you would say, golly, it's kind of the same words. Like walk, lead, follow, but all different in the original language. And this one means... In step. In step with. So when you walked in and you saw all these crazy feet on the ground, the idea is to say, I want to go in this direction. And the only way I can go in that direction is if the Holy Spirit influences me. And then not only that, but I want to be in step with the Spirit. I want where the Spirit steps, I'm going to step in those spots. And so when the Holy Spirit says, do this, I'm stepping in that spot. I'm stepping there. In step with the Spirit. Let me go back to the garden illustration and see if I can tie it all together. When my wife brought the snap piece to the table from the first time for our garden, and it's about all we got out of the garden this year. It was not, not great, but we got some snap peas and they were fantastic. If my wife had put them on the table and said, I grew these, what would you have said? You probably would have said, okay, you know what she means. Because she did a lot of things to help those grow, but she didn't grow them. I mean, she made, the, made sure the plant was planted. She made sure that it, the plant got sunlight. She made sure that it was watered. She made sure that, you know, we got the net over to protect. She made sure about all of that stuff. But let me tell you what Terry had nothing to do with. Photosynthesis. She had nothing to do with water going into a root and going up. She had nothing to do with that. She had nothing to do with how in the world seeds germinate. That's all invisible stuff that is amazing. All Terry did was just get in step with just the, the way nature works. And if she'd have planted that garden in the garage... 
you had all said, why would you be expecting fruit? Because plants need what? And you'd say, you weren't on a step, which is the way it works. It's just it's normal, right? Why in the world would we expect different results when we don't try to get in step with the way the Holy Spirit works? So we're expecting different outcomes, and you're planting your garden in the garage. That's what you're doing. And so we got a little, little watermelon that never does anything. It's just stunning. Because we got to work with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is how I'm going to close. Because um, most of us are saying, that's great, Russell. How do I work in step with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you this is the worst part of the sermon for me. Are you ready? I've been racking my brain to give you something profound. I got nothing profound today. Here it is. You ready? If you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, if you want to be in step with the Holy Spirit, if you want to know how do I follow and walk with the Holy Spirit, here's a few ones. You ready? Read the Bible. <laughs> Told you, nothing profound. You want to know why I tell you to read the Bible? Because the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is God-breathed. And so if you want to know what the Holy Spirit says, what do you think you ought to read? What the Holy Spirit wrote. So we get up here and I tell you all the time, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. I'll tell you how it works for me. It's nothing real fancy. I go to Circle K early every morning before anybody else wakes up and I get me the largest cup of coffee they got. I do sip and save. If you don't do sip and save, you need to get on the plan. It's amazing. I get home, I sit at my kitchen table, and before anybody gets up, I open up my YouVersion app. Right now, I'm currently walking through the Bible chronologically. I'm nearly done, and I sit back and I read. Sometimes I'm moved. Sometimes I'm not. But I listen to what Holy Spirit is going to tell me through the word he breathed. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to start there. If you want to start cultivating the garden, read the Bible. It's an amazing book. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Give you another one. Ephesians 2 says this, or excuse me, Ephesians 5 says this. Be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Guess what we just did? So listen to me. When you come here and we sing and we hear it, we are we are saying, I'm cultivating this so the Spirit can speak to me. Ever, ever had a song up there draw a tear to your eye? Ever just sit back and say, man, that's powerful? Man, if we sit back and we want that cultivated, the stats say we only come to church 1.9 times a month. That's not real helpful. I'm not your campus pastor anymore, so John can clean this up here in a minute, right? <laughs> wow. We want to know. I mean, if, you, if we want it, we need to read our Bible. It'd be good to come to worship. Another thing, it says we do this together. We spur one another on. Tonight at 6.30, I got a handful of people that are going to show up to my house, and we call it small group, and we're going to read the Bible together, and the Drakes are bringing a snack tonight, and it's going to be fantastic, and we've shared some tears, and we've prayed, and we laugh a lot, and we do all of that because we need people to tell us, hey, Russell, here's a blind spot. Hey, I'm in a ditch. Will you help? Hey, how do I get the pollinators to work, Brittany Glass? Latin, and they tell you that if you're not in group, it ain't going to happen. I, mean, I know I got nothing profound here. It's the same thing every week. Read your Bible, show up to church, be in a small group. Here's another one. Pray. <laughs> Romans 8 says he takes those words that you don't know what you're saying and he intercedes for you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you. 
I got my blower and I'm out there blowing leaves like crazy and I'm just praying for my kids and I'm praying for you guys. And then I, I'm like, God, I hope you can make sense of this. And I'm like, oh, he got me. Right? Here's the hardest one. Um, the hardest one is you got to protect the garden. Remember that, that green chicken wire my wife put over it to keep the, the squirrels and the birds and the deer out? We got to crucify the flesh. We got to crucify the flesh. There's some stuff we're doing that's got to stop because it is, it is, it's keeping your watermelon like this. It's got to stop. I got a buddy that just this weekend told me, he goes, Russell, I want you to come because I'm going to share my story at Celebrate Recovery this week for a year journey of sobriety. And to see where he was and where he is and to look at people and say, I am crucifying the flesh. And now there is joy and peace and patience because I have allowed the Holy Spirit to cultivate it. Perfect? No. But you got to cultivate it. You got to crucify these things. For some of us, it's a phone. For others of us, it's gossip. For some of us, it's outburst of anger. For whatever it is, we got to crucify. It is, it's crushing your garden. It's crushing it. It's ripping it up. So, um, and, and on the other end of that, I'm heartbroken today because I got a buddy who is now making decision after decision after decision to live in the flesh. And there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no goodness, kindness, there's nothing. And I'm hurting for him. Anybody? So here in a second, um, we're going to come out and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. And we're going we're gonna to sing and we're going to worship and it's going to be an opportunity for us to cultivate our heart. And you're going to get a chance to take this bread and juice and I hope you will say, Jesus, thank you so much for your death, burial, and resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit because now I have your personal presence living in me and I'm no longer bound to the law, but I can walk with you and you can guide me because you have my best interest in mind. And then when you walk out and you see these goofy feet, maybe you'd be reminded, I want to be in step. I want to be in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us.